Now, the reason you're going to laugh when I tell you the title of my sermon is because it's called Redemptive Interruptions. <laughs> I could not have planned that any better than it just was. Isn't it good to be able to sing those carols again? Felt so good. We enjoyed it. We had a, our chamber ensemble. We called it a chamber orchestra because we do have a string section, Katie. And uh, we played at two different uh, senior residents yesterday, and they had such a great time listening to us play those carols, and we had a great time playing the carols for them because it's that time of year, and because we've come out of a time when people couldn't gather in person for so long, it just feels great to be able to do that in real space and real time. So we're going to look at two different... Um, scripture passages one of them is too lengthy for you to look at all the way through but two of them that are small enough that you can just read along are Galatians 4 so if you've got a real Bible you can hold a finger in that one and then turn to Luke 2 or if you're on a phone you'll just search for it so fast that we won't even be able to keep up with you so the first question is <laughs> have you had any interruptions lately I can answer that one. The answer is just five minutes ago. Uh, but yes, and like the time even just a few days ago when I was trying to finish a couple of projects for this Christmas-related ministry stuff that we do at Living Water, and then my wife reminded me that it was time for us to order one of the gifts that we're going to have shipped somewhere, and so I was trying to get that done. And the website would not take the credit card that I know I've used on that website before, and so then it was trying to get me to verify a bunch of stuff, and it was asking for my current phone number, my current email address to make sure that's still up to date, and the blood type of my firstborn child, and the street addresses of the last six houses I've lived in. You know, it wasn't quite that bad, but it feels that way. And the blankety-blank website, excuse my French, finally let me in so I could order that thing, and then just after I finished ordering the gift, I was getting ready to go off to bed, and something else was not working properly, which I desperately needed the next day. And I was troubleshooting it, and I went to a forum to find out what could I do to fix this. And it said, well, you probably have some updates on this particular software that needs to happen so that it can recognize it. And I said, oh, that's easy, right? <laughs> you just update it, and you push, yes, I want to update. And then it whirs for a while, and then you restart your computer, and everything's fine. Well, it started to look like it was going to go through quickly like that, and then the little white line was traveling pretty quickly across the screen, and then it stalled out, and the little thing kept whirring and whirring, and then it kept estimating the time left. And I'm looking at the clock and thinking, okay, I've reached my bedtime, and now it's reading 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm steaming a little bit more. And finally, it went all the way through and said, it's going to restart. And it started to restart again. I typed in the password. And it goes, that was update number one. <laughs> so I did several updates and finally got that done an hour and a half past my bedtime so that I could get done what I needed to do. And when I got up the next morning, finally, it was working properly. But those things show me that interruptions happen to all of us, and the reason that they happen so unexpectedly is because they're unexpected. <laughs> you can't plan on them. That's the definition of the word. They're unexpected. And so these interruptions that come to us 
help us remember a few things. And this is where I think we're going to see, as we start diving into the Scripture, they're good things that we need to learn. And God knows, with some of us who are thicker skulled than others, I'm pointing to myself, I have to relearn these same lessons. It was interruptions like that that got me thinking about the theme for today. We've all had them. Pesky, pesky interruptions. Some are peskier than others. Some are funnier than others. Like the time when we actually had to spend the night in a parking lot in a small town in New Mexico because of an unexpected snowstorm on our way to Texas to visit relatives for Christmas. And we laugh about that. So they're funny. But some are just funny later. Like sometimes several years later. And you look back. Like the time when a stomach bug hit all four of us when I was a kid just after we'd arrived at my aunt's and uncle's house in Texas. That was fun, <laughs> to quote Kristen. <laughs> that was an interesting couple of days, and we breezed in, we had the flu together, and we breezed out, and that was our Christmas vacation. Well, I've also been in touch with a couple of folks that they would not laugh at all about some of the interruptions that they have had to experience. In fact, we went to a funeral last week because Joy's sister's family was laying to rest, uh, a, a dear mother, my brother-in-law's mom, a uh, sweet lady, but they were making Christmas plans, and the next thing you know, they're making funeral plans. I also was in touch with a couple of friends of ours from times gone by, because you tend to do that at this time of the year when you're touching base and Christmas cards and all that. And Bob is a guy that we met back in Arizona when I was in college and doing a lot more singing back then, and Joy and I sang a duet at his wedding it was a really neat redemptive wedding because there was some tragedy in the first marriage and then he was remarried to Maria, Bob and Maria. They've been married for 40 years now, but this is a rough year for Bob and I didn't know that. He said that he had heart surgery earlier in the year, had difficult recovery. He nearly died from the surgery and then he got COVID. So then he was in the hospital again for a while. He said, but yet through all of that, I kept seeing God's hand at work and he kept arranging things in such a way that I thought, you know, I know this is an interruption and it's not pleasant, but God is still so present and he's still revealing himself and he's still providing a chance for me to become some sort of a witness, hopefully for him. Well, by definition, definition of interruptions, they can't be predicted. And that reminds me that I'm not actually in control, which I like to be. And we think we'd like to be in control all the time, and stuff happens, and somebody falls down the stairs, and you think, oh, we're not in control. And everything changes, and a life is turned upside down. Or you have to make an emergency trip to get your heart checked out. And different things happen along life's journey that you think, man, this is an interruption, and I certainly hadn't counted on it. But looking back helps us see God's hand more clearly, and that's what we see in Scripture. I love always the ties in that we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Mark is our Old Testament scholar guy, and he's always pointing that out because we can trace those threads all the way through because it's not two separate books and it's not two separate gods. These are all it's one collection of 66 books that show us the same God. St. Augustine or Augustine, however you prefer to pronounce it, said, the New Testament is in the old concealed. The Old Testament is the new revealed. That's a great summary of what happens because we don't yet see some of the things that are being predicted from the Old Testament until we get into the New Testament and you go, aha, 
I get it now. It was sort of concealed in a way in the Old Testament becomes revealed in the New Testament. So that's why it helps us to come alive, which is why I've never done this before that I can recall. I'm preaching about half the message today from an Old Testament Joseph, the other Joseph. Take Joseph, for example, not the one in Luke chapter 2, the one that we always talk about this time of year, but the one in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Now that's the one that's too lengthy for me. I'm preaching in 10 minutes a whole bunch of passages right from that. So it's going to be the summary version of that, all right? But you know the Joseph I'm talking about, right? The Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, daddy's favorite, the one who was so bratty that his brothers really disliked him big time, the one that God turned a lot of interruptions into redemptive stories. And so I think it's really cool because as we can look back at that Joseph, we can see that some of the things that were concealed in the Old Testament become revealed in the New Testament. The earlier Joseph was so loved by his father that it ticked off the brothers so much that when he came out to bring lunch to them, they actually threw him into a pit that had been dug into the clay in the ground there, a cistern, so to speak, a water well that was not filled with water at the time, fortunately for him. But most of the other brothers were standing around talking about it and they thought, we gotta get rid of this guy. He is so annoying. How can we do that? And most of them really wanted to just kill him. But a couple of them had better sense than that and they said, hey, you see that caravan of traders coming? This is a win-win, guys. We can sell him to those folks. They take him into another country. We get rid of him and we get paid for doing it. So they said, okay, let's do that. So they sold their brother out literally for the price of a slave does that sound familiar to anybody if you're thinking ahead to the new testament well they sell joseph into slavery and i think that we could probably all agree that this is a decision joseph had not made for himself so it was an interruption i think it was a major life interruption because he goes all the way into egypt and his life changes forever and then there are a few additional interruptions in Joseph's life, not small interruptions. These are major as well. Like the time that his boss's wife tried to put the moves on him, and she tries to spin it and say that it happened the other way around, and he gets thrown into prison for something he didn't do. And I got to tell you, it smarts to be unjustly accused. And it really smarts to be punished for something that you didn't do. For example, there I was in middle school, minding my own business, reading the chapter in social studies that I had been assigned to read in class, when all of a sudden I felt the smack of a ruler on the back of my right hand. It shocked me because I hadn't done anything. But apparently what I think happened was that there are a couple of hooligans behind me that were up to no good, and one of them created a commotion, and when the teacher looked back to see who was making the commotion, one of them pointed to me, and so I got the brunt of that. But I got to tell you, the sting of my sense of justice smarted a lot worse and lasted a lot longer than the sting on the back of my hand. Because it feels bad when you're unjustly accused and especially unjustly punished. Imagine Joseph. That was not just a slap on the wrist. He was put in prison for something that he had not done. In fact, he did the opposite. He was trying to run away from the thing that would have been wrong and yet he got busted for it. So I can imagine he was feeling pretty angry about that, and yet the scriptures keep saying again and again through these interruptions, and God was with Joseph. And that becomes one of the big parts of what we're trying to learn in terms of this whole Advent interruption that happens with Joseph and Mary as well. 
But wait, that's not all. There are more interruptions for Joseph, like the cupbearer in jail, because there was the baker and the cupbearer. They each have weird dreams. God gives Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams, which he does. And the cupbearer is the one who comes out really well in the dream interpretation. The baker, not so much. But the cupbearer does get out, and when he does, he forgets all about Joseph instead of speaking up on Joseph's behalf. And so Joseph is left to rot in prison again for another few years. And the only thing more aggravating than that is that you would think that by doing something good for somebody else, you would be rewarded for that. And instead, it seems that every time Joseph does something good, he gets punished for it. At least that's the way it looks from the outside. And yet, the scripture keeps saying, and God was with Joseph. So clearly there's something about his attitude too that I think plays into that, that even though there are some awful interruptions, they're terribly difficult for him, he recognizes that just maybe God is up to something and I can keep trusting him even though I find myself in these pesky situations. So I'm compressing all these years of Joseph's life into this one main point. All those interruptions were redemptive because God was involved. It's hard for us to feel like things were moving in a redemptive direction as we read through that story. And sometimes it's hard for us if we find ourselves in the pits. Maybe not literal pits like Joseph, but when we feel like we're in the pits and we're just down and out because of a circumstance. And yet, even during the worst parts of those times in our lives, it's really helpful for us to remember that God is a redemptive God of interruptions. So... A couple of other things happen. Uh, The dream interpretation turns out to be a really useful tool that God gives for Joseph because Pharaoh has a couple of weird dreams. They're parallel dreams. They're actually one dream but in two parts. One about the seven years of productive harvest and growth and then seven years of famine. So Joseph interprets that for him and he says, oh, it's God to interpret. I don't have the gift, but God's the one with the gift and he's allowing me to use that. And then he tells him about that, and Pharaoh says, well, that's a good idea. Why don't you be in charge of the food collection program, and we'll start storing up some food, which he does for those seven years. So what does that do for Egypt? It makes them the place where everybody's going to have to come for food. So it just elevates them as well. Fast forward, we find that Joseph's brothers then are going to Egypt for food. Dum-dum-dum. Can you imagine the looks on their faces when they get to Egypt and they find out that the the guy who's in charge, second only to Pharaoh himself, the guy who's in charge of this food program is the brother they threw in the pit and that they sold out for the slave traders. And they got worried. They just knew that Joseph could easily extract his or exact his revenge. And all he would have had to do because his word was authority is just say a couple of words. Take them out, you know what to do with them. Boom. And they knew that. But look what Joseph says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's Genesis 50, 20. What a statement. And then Joseph understood that God is right there in the midst of life's most awful interruptions. He got it. He understood that. He got the fact that when we allow God to get involved in our interruptions, that's when redemption starts to happen. 
And Joseph's story in the Old Testament points ahead to something that gets revealed. It was concealed in the Old, it's revealed in the New, in the New Testament, including the events that we celebrate at Christmas time. And as we read each year, Joseph, the New Testament one, and his betrothed wife, Mary, are interrupted. And can you even, I know we ask this, but I've tried and I can't fully imagine what it would be like to have an angel appear to you and tell you that your life is just about to be upended. How do you deal with that? That's what we see with both Mary and Joseph. And both their lives are filled with huge interruptions from that point forward. But we also see that God's hand of redemption was on all the events that they were told about by the angel. And there's a passage in the New Testament. It's found in Galatians, Galatians 4. It tells us about God's appointed time. When the time was just right, these things took place. When the time was just right. And we tend to not think about all the interruptions that had to take place prior to that time that was just right. When we're in the middle of our own interruption, we tend to think, this is keeping me from fulfilling something that I had. My goal is not being met. The thing that I said I would complete by then is not getting completed. The dream that I had dreamed about is not happening. Something is interrupted in my life. We don't think about that. But when the time is just right, can still apply to us, even when we're in the middle of our interruptions. Let me read Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the right time came, other translations say the appointed time, or when everything came to pass, in God's cosmic calendar it was written down, then God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I love that passage. God had prepared his people for his great interruption in history. And it took a lot of Old Testament interruptions to get to these series of interruptions so that redemption could take place. And then look at Luke 2, 6 and 7. And while they were there, meaning in Bethlehem where they had been sent because when they took a census, you couldn't just do it online. You didn't have a census taker that would come knock on your door. You had to go back to the place of your upbringing or the place of your birth, Bethlehem. That's where they had to travel because of a government mandate. And by the way, I looked it up on Google Maps. On the paved roads that they have now in Israel, walking at a normal rate, it would take you about 31 hours to get there. Now that was if it was paved. And as I was looking at dear sweet Heather standing up here singing in our praise team this morning, I thought, 31 hours. Oh, my goodness. And that was if they were all paved, which they weren't. So because they were traveling there, she finally got to that time when her baby was supposed to be born. Verse 7 of Luke 2, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, again, we ask these questions every year, but it's good for us to ponder them. How do you explain to your family that an angel just spoke to you without them thinking, I think we should probably get you an appointment with a psychiatrist? How do you do that? How do you explain that the baby that you're supposed to have did not come about through the normal process? How do you prepare to make a trip for a government-mandated census when you're that close to having your child? As we read through the Bible, we can see how God, through a series of interruptions, 
life-changing, big interruptions for these folks, brought about the promised coming Messiah. And they even fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, which means that these interruptions were actually very purposeful. Now, here's where it really gets good. So look to me in my eyeballs. This is where we see the parallels of the old becoming revealed in the New Testament. You ready for this? Everybody say, I'm ready. Okay. Parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Now, there's a whole series of them. I looked them up online. There's like more than a dozen, but I'm going to give you just a handful because these are the best ones. These are the nuggets. Okay. Both Joseph and Jesus, Jesus were dearly beloved by their fathers. I think that's true. Both were ridiculed and rejected even by their own brothers. In Jesus' case, they'd be half-brothers because of the immaculate conception. Both were far away from their homeland. That's very true. The Old Testament Joseph, very far away from his homeland. Jesus, really far away from his homeland. Both were sold for the price of a slave. Ah. Both were falsely accused, sentenced, and punished for something they had not done. But this similarity really blows your mind. You ready for this one? Here it comes. Let's look again at what Joseph told his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position. And I actually think of Jesus hanging on the cross at this point. So that I could save the lives of many people. What a foreshadowing. That other Joseph becomes the Christ type for us. Pointing ahead so that when that stuff is revealed and we connect the dots, we think God has been showing us through all these interruptions that this was his plan the whole time. And then Luke 23, 34, we know what Jesus said as he hung on the cross, even though he had done nothing wrong. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's redemption. How could he say that? Because like the Joseph in the Old Testament, these people who tried to do away with Jesus, just like Joseph's brothers had tried to do away with him, they meant it for evil. But God meant all these interruptions for good and was continuing to pour out his redemptive work through each one of these events. As Joel 2.32 says, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So all that stuff that Jesus had to go through was so that the lives of many people would be saved. So what about us? When we find ourselves frustrated and angry because of an interruption, and I confess, I get so easily triggered into frustration and anger when I can't complete a task. And when it gets to be magnified because that goes on not just for a brief thing that I can solve with an update overnight, but it goes on for weeks and months, it's frustrating. But what do, what do we do with that? When we keep relearning the lesson, I can't control everything, that's when God says, good. You're not God, and I am. So that's a good lesson for you to remember. You're not in control of everything. That means that we need to continue to remind ourselves that God is still in charge. And so we know that we can keep trusting him through that stuff. And I've been in touch with a lot of people just in this last couple of weeks. They've been dealt some awful interruptions. There's some who lost some jobs, and then they got another job, and then that one went away quickly, too. I know three of them that that happened to just recently right here in Michigan. Another guy that I know that I went to school with back in Arizona, he was a professor in Texas, lost that job, 
went through three other jobs in succession very quickly within the last 12 months. He's on job number four as a chaplain in a hospital in Oklahoma. Now, I think he's sticking with that one. I think that's going to last a while. But can you imagine? I mean, that's a lot of jobs. And I'm sure that was a lot of frustration because those are a lot of interruptions to his family. But when we start to become aware that God is with us, even in the middle of our interruptions, strangely, he starts showing us that he can pour out the peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to people who don't get it. To see us being able to get to that place where he starts developing a sense of peace about it, to say, God's in control, I trust him. Other people can't quite get that because they don't understand it. Bob Blader, another guy, he's the guy that I saw in Phoenix, had that heart surgery earlier in the year. He has such a great testimony, and every time you speak to him, he's testifying a positive word about how God is looking out after him. Jeff Jenkins, I also went to school with him. I sent him a quick note, and he got back with me, and he said, yeah, it's been a bit of a rough year for me, too. And I said, how so? And he said, well, I lost my two remaining brothers this year. He said, and I lost my sister four years ago, so I'm the last man standing in my family. He said, but God's good. And he's helping me lean into him even more because I belong to a great church out in Nevada. I sing in a choir, and we get to sing about the things that matter most to me. He said, so even though it's been a time of great grief, it's also been a time of great grace. And God keeps pouring his grace out into my life over and over again. So instead of asking, why me? Why now? Jeff is saying, so what are you up to, God? What am I learning through this about you, and how can I continue to express your goodness to other people? Because I keep seeing your goodness show up, even though my life has been pretty well wrecked at times this year. We can look for ways that God is using these interruptions because he's still about some eternal purposes that we tend to get myopic and forget about because we're looking at the temporary stuff. Michael W. Smith, you know the singer? Well, he was talking in a little four-minute YouTube interview that I saw this week about an interruption he had a couple of years ago. He was going to be going from America over to South Africa, supposed to get on the plane to go to Johannesburg, and from there they would go about 45 miles north to Pretoria where he was going to be the headliner in a big concert there. It was going to be this great gathering with Christian music and testimonies. And he was at the airport in Atlanta getting ready to board that plane, and he got pulled aside, and somebody said, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, but um, you're not going to be able to get on that plane. He said, how come? He said, you don't have a blank page in your passport. They will not allow you to go to South Africa without a blank page for them to stand. He said, I've traveled all over the world, and I've never heard of that. He said, well, I'm sorry, but that's... That's the way it is. We're going to put you up in a motel nearby. It's only 15 minutes away from the airport. So if you can call for an Uber driver, we'll put you up, and we've got some people on it. Now, just to put your mind at ease, things worked out because some people got involved. They knew somebody in the government. They pulled some strings. A miracle happened. And overnight, they got a replacement passport with a blank page in it so that he could still go to South Africa. But he's not really miffed about that. And you think, why would he not be miffed about that? He's the headliner. He's like, I, I have to be singing, you know, 24 hours from now in Pretoria in a stadium filled with people. I'm, I have to be singing there. But instead, he said, okay. 
Calls for the Uber driver. The Uber driver gets there. He gets in. It was a chatty guy that started asking him, so why are you in Atlanta? Well, I'm getting ready to go to South Africa. South Africa, that's cool. What are you going to do there? Oh, I'm a singer. I'm going to sing. Really? What kind of music do you sing? Well, I sing Christian music. Oh, cool. I used to grow up in church and stuff, and this guy just starts spilling his guts, you know. But some bad things happened, and I got really miffed about the. And so I pretty well left everything about that. I just don't really claim that any of that's real. He goes, oh, well, that's interesting. He said, because I just personally have found that I've, I've had so many personal encounters with Jesus Christ that he just changed my life completely. So the Uber driver says, well, we got about one minute left before I'm supposed to drop you off at the motel. you got one minute to, to tell me. What do you, what do you mean by life-changing encounter? And Michael told him. He gave him his testimony. The guy goes, huh, that's really interesting. And he drops this guy off. And he said, if that whole interruption took place so that I could witness to that Uber driver, that was worth it. That was great. I felt like I was supposed to be in that car at that moment for that purpose right there. And then he gets on the plane. He goes to South Africa. The plane lands in Johannesburg. He got a police escort from the airport all the way up to Pretoria. And four hours after his plane's wheels touched the runway, he was proclaiming his faith again, but through music this time in that concert. You think that God doesn't work through purposeful interruptions? Absolutely he does. He's constantly doing that. And he's doing it in our lives too, even though we get frustrated and we start getting myopic and looking at the circumstance rather than asking God, what are you up to? So the wrong question to ask when we're interrupted is, why me? Why now? The right question is, what are you up to, God? Please open my eyes to see the redemption that you're going to bring about through this circumstance. Because all of a sudden our attitude flips around and it causes us to look at our circumstance very differently. And when that happens, I, I call that being interrupted by the Spirit. He did it for me when I was uh, late. I'd forgotten about this one. just popped in. Uh, I was supposed to go lead the music for a revival in a missions conference in Reno, Nevada when I was in college. And Bill Eardenson, who became a missionary in Africa, uh, in Tanzania for 35 years, he was the guest speaker and I was the guest musician. And we were at the airport and we got waylaid also in L.A., LAX. And they said, I'm sorry, but we can't get you on that plane to Reno right now. And there was nothing we could do about that. You know, throwing a fit and getting on our backs and stomping our feet and crying was not going to make an airplane miraculously appear. And so we said, well, uh, okay, what are our options? What, are, what do we need to do? And we took care of that. And I realized that he was sort of putting us in position to be able to minister to a couple of people who were there because some people who were just berating the person behind the desk as though it was all their fault. <laughs> You know, they're just trying to get the tickets out to folks. And yet these people are acting like, you caused my delay. So when we got up to the desk, we were trying to be generous and kind. And we said, you know, we see that you're being very, very kind to the people around you. That's a real gift. And we appreciate that. Because I recognize that you didn't cause this. And yet you're receiving a lot of stuff. But we appreciate what you're doing. And their whole attitude changed too. And they thought, well, thank you. Nobody's really told us that before. And so we finally got there, but somebody else had to fill in for us in the opening session, and then we just got there one session late. Who knows what else God had in mind, but what he was showing us is, I'm still God, you're not, 
just going to have to trust me on this one. And he's got redemptive purposes in mind for that. But when the Spirit interrupts you, that's when your attitude shifts around. He has a wonderful habit of interrupting people with his Spirit when he's getting ready to reveal that thing that brings us peace in the midst of our interruption. Like the time just a couple of months ago, three months ago or so, in Chicago, I mentioned that I had this great opportunity to go out and hang out with my son at the Midwest Territory Headquarters for Salvation Army, where he is an associate producer in their multimedia division. And they're, they're the kind of people who are putting together lots of really good stories, usually on video, and many of those things are, in fact, witnesses, because they're stories of people whose lives have been changed by the programs, and they use it for training purposes, and sometimes they'll use it also for commercials that they'll do and things like that. So we're in this multinational uh, symposium, the theme of which was storytelling. And I got to attend, because I got there a day earlier, I got to attend some of the workshops because I wanted to hear some of these people. And I got to go to one of their chapel services. So you get all these people in uniform, these Salvation Army folks that are there, but you also have symposium guests who were there, about 100, maybe 110 people in this room. And it was just the right size room, so they were just perfect. Kind of about the way we feel when we're really filled up right in this space. And the praise team was just on, and they were singing. And I sat down next to a lady because it was the only open chair when I walked in. And I think I detected an African accent. So she may have been African. She may have been African-American. I'm not really sure. Sweet lady. She's just the, the kind that melts you in a good way when she just smiles at you. And I thought, yes, I need to be next to this person. And then we started singing. And one of the young ladies from one of the other territories was asked to sing a song. And she did Sarah Groves, He's Always Been Faithful to Me. And that blessed my heart because I thought about all the times I was flooding back in my memory to all the things that God had been faithful to me throughout in my lifetime. And then we sang, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. And we all sang that together. And everybody in that room could sing. I mean, they could sing. And so there was harmony everywhere, not just coming from the praise team. It was just all around you. It was a beautiful experience. And then they started singing something that we actually sing at our church too. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And we started singing that. And the Spirit interrupted this lady next to me. And she had to reach into her purse, and she had to start grabbing tissues. And her voice cracked, and then she just couldn't sing at all. And the tears just started to flow from this lady. Because she was so interrupted by the Spirit, because I could just imagine there's got to be some interruptions that led up to what she's experiencing right now. And yet God, in that moment, in that song, was revealing to her, I'm still the God of interruptions. And no matter what has gone on in her life or may be going on at that moment, she was interrupted. And I realized God still does that to us today. And sometimes he does it most powerfully, for me anyway, through music. And it was wonderful to be around a whole bunch of people, these Salvation Army people, who are telling redemptive stories and trying to find out the most effective ways to tell them so that other people can be interrupted by the Spirit so that they too can come in contact with that God that says, I'm still God and I still got you. And I'm going to turn this interruption into something really wonderful. Just trust me, I got it. So maybe you're in the middle of an interruption right now too. Many of us are. 
which means that maybe you might be really primed and ready to hear from the Holy Spirit as he speaks too. And I think maybe he can do that through music. So I'd like for the praise team to take their places because I'd like for us to sing that song. And then we can also go out singing something that's Christmassy. But this one just really touched me because of that experience. And I'm praying that it will touch us too as we all become interrupted by the Spirit. So when he interrupts you, will you allow the interruption? Will you open yourself up to the Spirit? And will you respond, as the song says, by laying down your life and giving him everything? Because that's what he's asking us to do. And he doesn't do that because he's cruel. He does that because he knows if we'll lay down our lives and give it to him, he'll fill us up with himself and with the peace that passes all understanding. So would you stand and let's sing that song together. Yeah. 